welcome to another episode of the Social Justice Education Network podcast. This is your host, Emilio Herrera. I am joined by uh, an old friend of mine, uh, Precious Davis. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Emilio? I'm I'm so much better now that I get to, to see you. Uh, so Thank you. It's I, an honor to be here. It's yeah, nice to reconnect with an old friend. Yeah, I think the last time I saw you, you were giving um, a talk somewhere or something. And it was, I think it's the, I told you, it says, this is the first time in my life I've had to wait in line to talk to a friend of mine, right? <laughs> um, so we met, um, I think we just established, in 2004, we were both at a uh, diversity and leadership retreat. Um, that's a long time ago now. I think that's 12, 12 years ago now. So um, for the people who don't know you, uh, why would you say you're a big deal? I think you're a pretty big deal. So why? <laughs> so if 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 I think so, then why would you describe yourself as one? Well, I I just want to start by saying um, it's so great to reflect on where we've come from. Um, and uh, any town um, in 2004, which is, for people who don't know what any town is, it's a social justice workshop uh, that facilitates conversations on bias, bigotry. Um, and prejudice, and that particular um, inclining of the program, it was bringing together three different high schools to have a conversation um, on social justice, and so that was just a really powerful moment, actually the start like of my social mm-hmm. justice career, and just a, a pivotal moment of awakening, and being woke, um, and of understanding, of someone understanding the diversity to which um, I embody. Um, in terms of me being a big deal, I don't see it, it, me being a big deal. I see me being a change agent. I see me being um, a vessel, you know, as we look at, you know, Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see in the world. And that is really what I have taken on as my mission. Social justice is my passion. There's uh, a moment of fashion in there. There's a moment of pop culture um, in there. There's a moment of spirituality. All of these things kind of intersect. And so I find myself um, in situations because I'm passionate. And I think people respond to my passion. They respond to my authenticity. And also they trust me because many people have witnessed my journey. You know, Mm -hmm. that's one thing that uh, as we've grown up that social media has come along. And so meanwhile, as you know, I made this transition from uh, a young, uh, young gay boy, you know, and then I started, you know, I became a colorful drag queen and then I became, you know, a beautiful trans woman. So all of this is just documented. I think people have Mm -hmm. really followed my journey um and i have social media um to thank for that because i've always kind of been in tune to what's happening and have always kind of given a glimpse into my life so i think it's people really respond to my authenticity yeah i and yeah because of social media i've got to see over the years um you've had opportunities to to teach uh at a university in chicago um, you were, you've been really, uh, seen as an icon in some spaces. I think we were just talking about earlier, uh, doing some things with Miley Cyrus, doing some things with Lady Gaga, uh, or working for her. And that is for some people that you are what they hope to see themselves be, right? Uh, a person of color, particularly a black person, uh, that is trans, that is 
um, proud and happy and out there and really living life out. But um, was it always that for you? Do you think, was that an easy thing to do to, to live uh, as yourself? And like you say, that authenticity? Oh, no. I had trial after trial after tribulation after struggle after struggle after struggle. But there was always a string that linked my resilience. I was always resilient, and I knew that if I could persevere through the the trials to which I was going to, that I would find myself on the other side. And there was many moments of setback where I felt like I didn't have the resources, where I felt like I didn't have uh, the vision to articulate how I wanted to see myself or uh, what I wanted in life. But I really leaned into the discomfort of those situations and said, this is my moment now, but this will not always be. Um, Growing up in Omaha as a young queer person, I there was no, I didn't see anyone else who looked like me. Mm-hmm. You know, this is 2000, you know, 16. There aren't, in, in, tw- in 2004, there was no such thing as visibility. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't mm-hmm. a thing. Back then, I was wearing Disney shirts with princesses on it and bow ties, like, in my hair um, and girls' clothes because that's what felt right to me, you know, and although I was a part of a religious community who denounced that and I was extremely invested in that community, I still felt that it was more important for me to dress and act authentically me, and that has always served me, and I feel like that is a universal gift, and so I feel like I have to give that back to others that you should trust your inner self and who you are and what it is that is driving you yeah um i remember years ago i don't remember what year it would would be but you invited me uh to your church i remember driving it felt like a really long time i got on the north freeway and, and i drove a really long time i remember seeing a side of you saying oh uh she's really involved in her church Right, she's really involved in the church, and I thought that was interesting because I had heard you uh, before speak about the difficulty of that. But it seemed even at that moment you felt like you belong there. Um, how how did that balance out? How did it balance out of saying of maybe feeling not a hundred percent welcome, but really honoring your own identities? And how did that shape you into where you are today? Yeah, I think growing up, I've always known that I have straddled two sides um, of things. You know, growing up being a biracial person, you know, I knew that in the 90s that that was still a faux pas, you know, mm-hmm. that a, a, a black person being with a white person in a relationship, you know, that that was, in terms of society, uh, that was problematic. And so I learned to navigate that. But in terms of my spiritual community, I found a place that I could foster healing. You know, one thing that being a part of that spiritual community, I found that people coming together was a powerful thing. And that through people magnifying and uplifting, it was the music 
that really uplifted me, the piano, uh, the singing, the everyone in, in commonality coming together. And that really just fostered something in me that showed me that when people come together for a common purpose, no matter what their belief is, that there is power in that. And so though there were problematic aspects of that, it was the community uh, that really inspired me. And also, it was the oration of ministry, mm-hmm. um, th- which brings me to my work today. You know, in public speaking, I was always moved by the oration, you know, and the way that these s- biblical stories were told. You know, I-, I loved the oration of that. And it also was the beginning of me beginning to really critique what was behind uh, the messages and what was being delivered. Um, and it also taught me that I could... There's, there's a sect um, of Pentecostal faith that really fosters and believes in, in healing and through healing thyself. Um, and the power of working miracles. And it was really fostering hope. It was hope that I felt that I never had in my life because of um, my upbringing. That's powerful. And I think that for um, a lot of people, particularly a lot of uh, queer or trans people who are young, they see the church as their um, their oppressor, as someone who is is working actively against them. So I think it it'll be a surprise for some people to to hear you talk about your faith like this and to even say such positive things. Um, so if you are talking to these young people, what is what is your message to them? My message is to young people first is that. We are beautiful creation. Whether individuals believe that God is a he, she, they, we are living on this universal plane, and each and every one of us has something about us that is unique and deserves to be celebrated. And in our lives, no one has the right to tell us who we need to be, where we need to go, and how we need to act. We deserve to be our authentic authentic selves completely you know it comes in the the way that we walk the way that we talk what our passions are and how we navigate space in the world you should always celebrate the the multifaceted things about yourself like they deserve to be celebrated they deserve to be present um and don't ever let anyone tell you anything else different than that. And that was something that I had to balance, that while I was immersed in this community, I was also being oppressed mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment mm-hmm. where I said, not anymore. Like, this is, this is wrong. Like, I am being discriminated here. I'm, I am being served as a marginalized, you know, sect of diversity. And I finally put my foot down and I said, no, I'm not coming back. Um, to this and I found out that there was an entire world out there to see to discover to take part to add my voice into the conversation and I urge people to step outside the, the guidelines of religion because I feel like the status quo of religion in itself is control that, that can, is that going to intertwine? 
Go ahead. Keep going. Okay. I'm sorry, folks. I mean, this is the this is our life. So (laughs) no, I like having stuff in the background. Even uh, sometimes other places we record, you can hear like hymns happening in the background because we're by a church, and that's fine. I want everyone to feel like you're in a room chatting with us anyway. So I like that. Sorry, there was a vacuum. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there was a vacuum (laughs) happening. People gotta work inside this church, also. Totally, that's fine. Uh, Um, But what I was saying, I was saying that I feel that. We have to, and I urge young people to move outside of the confines of just religion, which attempts to control people. And I think that we have to move out of the confines of control and move to spirituality, to belief, to how do we uplift each other up in our time, uh, how we commune with each other in in our daily lives, in our, our daily world, you know, through the little things, through the most simple acts, you know, in terms of how people know us. That's, uh, I, I, find, I find that so fascinating because um, you're doing two things. You have obviously this boundary of where you say, like, I respect myself enough that I won't be treated in this way. But you have such a very high opinion, it seems, of of the potential of faith. And I find that very interesting. Um, my my question to you is, I think people will might see you, listen to you, and they think, well, she's larger than life, right? She is, uh, of course, she can have these things because she's on top of all of it, right? Like, she doesn't have to worry about all these things. What are some things that you just want to tell people about maybe your day-to-day life that they may not realize, whether that's because of, of being black or identifying as trans or being both of those things out in, in the public eye. Uh, what do you wish people knew more about you? Oh, my gosh. I am a human being and have many doubts, you know, about uh, who, who – I mean – First of all, let's start off with imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. In terms of this complex of, you know, do people not see me? You know, because sometimes when someone is so large, larger than life, they think that someone is is misrepresenting themselves. Mm-hmm. And I am always a larger than life individual and always... You always, always have been. Always have been. I've <laughs> you always, always been, been. Large, as long as I've known you. <laughs> larger than, larger than, and larger than life. And it just is how I am wired, like, as a person. But I also, on, you know, as a woman, like, I deal with street harassment, with being Mm -hmm. harassed on the street. As a person of color, I have been looked over in institutions, you know, for promotion. Mm -hmm. As a trans woman, I have been overlooked for promotions, you know, in terms of other individuals of of other races. Like, there's lots of different kinds of oppression um, that internally internalized um, systematically, you know, I often, as myself, do, I look at it, I'm saying, am I beautiful enough? You know, mm-hmm. am I beautiful today? You know, even though someone else may think I look, be- I don't think that I look beautiful, like in that moment, mm-hmm. you know, I'm extremely um, vulnerable, like, in that way, you know, like I'm also the kind of person, you know, they say you should never care what people think, but I, I do, mm-hmm. you know, if I hear mm-hmm. something that someone has said about me negative, negatively, that bothers me insanely, you know, mm-hmm. it bothers me. Um, and I've had to learn to release that because it doesn't matter what other, other people's opinion of me, as long as I know who I am. Um, I, 
grew up, you know, in a extremely dysfunctional family. So as an adult, I constantly have to process the rejection, you know, that I dealt with and the abuse I, you know, that was afflicted on me as a child. So I'm constantly always having to deal with these issues um, and my faith, not and my faith, not just only in in God, you, is what has brought me through. But I think in humanity, you know, whether you are a larger than life entity or you're an introvert, my husband is such an an introvert, and we create this perfect balance. But whether you're an introvert and you find solace and healing through sitting in a corner or reading a book, you mm-hmm. know, whether you you know are a performer on stage or you feel like just sitting in silence looking over you know looking over a park and just seeing how beautiful nature is mm-hmm. i just say that it's about finding that balance right and being still um and finding purpose in in all things and so that's how i i do it you know mm-hmm. i i have many struggles but i try to bring myself to the commonality that I am a universal being and I am living part of this divine alignment of all things. So I think this is uh this is a lot of frame that people don't get to see about you, right? Uh I think that if I were to come into one of your classes or if I were to see you speak somewhere, um you're usually very poised, very uh very poignant. Uh you kind of seem like you know what you're doing. I kind of know what what's going on. So I think this is a, a opportunity for me to ask you really about your framework of social justice um and the education that you do in it. Um so I think I would I'd like to ask you just personally what do you think um is the most important social justice issue that we should be dealing with right now? And not to say that any of them are objectively more important, but which one or, or ones ring so true to you that you think it's one that you feel some urgency on right now? I can't say that there is just one because all things are interconnected. Mm-hmm. All social justice issues are interconnected. But I am going to start by saying that I feel that we lack true community. And what I mean by that is how do multiple kinds of people come into a room and begin to learn to celebrate each other and to affirm each other no matter what they believe? Where do those people meet? You know, and I mean old, young, you know, LGBTQ, black, white, Latino, undocumented Like, we need to come into this place and support each other. And yes, I feel there are issues that are extremely pertinent and important. Violence against trans women of color, you know, police brutality against African-American men, you know, the plight of Native American populations, you know, the plight of of undocumented people. Um, The list is endless. You know, to, you know, people of various kinds of abilities, you know, not being recognized or being given access to certain spaces and opportunities, you know, because of ability privilege. So I think that all of these issues are interconnected and there isn't just one. But I feel that 
we have to always know what's happening and know our place. And for me, I feel that my greatest impact and my theory in terms of how I do social justice work is through a cycle of liberation model that Mm. it is my job to inform my circle of influence and all all of those around me of how we can begin to liberate our communities and to uplift and to celebrate and listen. Also something that is so important is that I know my role. Like, I know what my role and my place is, that I am a person who fights institutionally. Like, mm-hmm. I can work within a system and advocate for change um, and train leadership on how to be more diverse and how to be more inclusive and how do we better serve diverse populations and how are we not using language that is ultimately a microaggression Mm -hmm. or how do we move away you know from stereotyping people in the most uncommon ways that we don't even think of and that is the framework for which I operate I mean and it takes everyone you know it takes you know the protester you know I was at the I was at the White House when Jenna said Gutierrez when she Mm -hmm. interrupted President Obama I I was there, like, Mm -hmm. in that moment, and I didn't even know what was happening. I didn't even know what was going on. I was standing in the back, and I couldn't hear, but I stand in solidarity with her action. Mm -hmm. Like, that was an action that Genesis did to stand up for the lives of undocumented, undocumented individuals, you know, who are wrongly treated, you know, in America through... Through ICE and these raids and through deportation. And so I stand in solidarity with different kinds of movements and different people's roles. Like my role, like I stand as an educator institutionally. Like that is like my place um, that I feel that I can create the most change. And I feel like people have to really know their role um, and their place in, in these movements and know that they're interconnected. What is um, – since you, you did just come from uh, – and like you said, you were just in D.C., so I imagine you do some work in – you've been to D.C., uh, you're in Chicago, uh, and now you're here back again in humble little Omaha, and you'll be speaking here uh, inside of this uh, church tonight. What – do you think that there's a strategy based upon who you're talking to about these issues – because uh, everything you just said, um, I understood, but it's also because I'm I'm in this field and I know uh, the language of these things. What do you think is the barrier of why don't most people, the majority of people, why don't they just get this stuff, right? And I think we frame it like that is that, oh, well, the good people know how to do it and the bad people don't know how to do it. Um, and I don't particularly like that framing. So what what do you think? Why is it the majority of people just aren't great at these things? Well, I think as... An American, I think that we have certain values. And as an American, I think that we place a lot of weight on ourselves, our, ourselves. And Americans, like kind of that pull yourself by the kind of bootstrap theory. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that we, people don't move out of what they know, that it feels comfortable that it's generational, that 
oh, my mom went to that church, or I'm going to go to that church. My mom went to this college, or I'm going to go to that <laughs> college. And I think that it creates a stagnation that people, that, and even myself, that I have to remind myself that things are not always going to be the same and that they always are not going to operate the same and that the concept, there's a concept of what is normal and that needs to be shattered. You know, I think that there's a concept of what is normal and what is the right thing. But there is this huge gray area besides this black and white area that we have this great opportunity to navigate and whether that's in our identity, you know, pieces of our identity, you know, and how we operate our sexual orientation or our gender or the way that we communicate, we have the opportunity to do that and that should be celebrated. I don't think that is celebrated enough. And it's really the, that things are so black and white, you know, that it has to be this, this or that. I think more people need to lean into the gray space. I, um, I've been thinking a lot because of a few things that uh, have happened here in Omaha lately. Uh, our um, public school board just added gender identity as one of the protected classes. Um, if you if you go look on iTunes, uh, one of the reviews on there is someone saying just like, um, you know, this is garbage and this and this gender stuff just doesn't make any sense. Um, and so I think about people like you who I think you're you're way past the conversation of saying like, is this real? And you you're into theory, right? And teaching classes on theory um, on these things. Is it? Do you think it's different for you? talking about these things while also living it because like I said I got to see secondhand from you in the times when we were around uh your journey in this but really we were also in a very inviting open space where you got to be a lot like yourself I didn't get to see you at home or at school I didn't get to see you in church or those things what is it like teaching these things that you have personally lived and then uh to the people who are fighting against this or saying it's not real um what is that like for you in that aspect, I mean, it, it's difficult, you know, because we're woke, right? Like, mm-hmm. I feel I, woke is the term mm-hmm. that I use to describe people who understand social justice is a, a state of mind and a, a way of life. And for me, it's important. And for me, I often find myself in humbling situations of where I realize, oh, this is still this still exists. Mm-hmm. Hate still exists in <laughs> yeah. in in, mm-hmm. in the world. Whether I'm traveling and I'm in Florida and I overhear I'm sitting in a five star restaurant and I overhear a white couple joking about Trayvon Martin, mm. you know, and uh, the the severity of the situation is a, a mere joke. You know that it's dinner conversation to these people, and it's it's laughter. You know that uh, a young African American male was shot and killed for for no reason, right? For for simply existing mm-hmm. with a hoodie, and that this young man is viewed as a criminal in America, and that the concept of a young person of color wearing a hoodie that he is marked as a thug, mm-hmm. and that that 
concept. People actually believe that and look down on African-American young people for that, whether it's the sexism that I see in workplaces, you Mm -hmm. know, whether it's me being a trans woman Mm -hmm. and someone looking at me and they say, oh, that's a dude. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Mm -hmm. those situations where I am challenged to continue the work and that the work is not over. And it brings me a joy to facilitate these conversations. And I feel that when I'm invited to speak at a church, people are excited and those people are coming to hear me. But I believe that my work is through my life. That it is through my existence, like through sharing like the authenticity of who I am, that when Precious see me, that when people see Precious, they see a trans woman of color who is proud. And I'm also a businesswoman. I'm also a wife. I'm also spiritual. I am a woman who loves to travel. I am a woman, you know, who loves fashion. That I'm all of these things. You know, and people can see that beyond all of the orifice that I'm a human being. And it's the that what really reminds me. When I turn on the news every night, when I turn on the news and I see what what's being focused on, mm-hmm. you know, that we, we only we talk about violence, you know, um, in Chicago, you know, there have been over 500 mm-hmm. murders in Chicago And we need to talk about the lack of resources to those communities, you know, when it comes to education. And Chicago just had the one of the largest school closings in the Mm -hmm. history of this country, you know, last year. And it's these things that I constantly see around me and say, progress needs to happen. And I want to be a part of that change. So that's why I continue to do the work. It's, I, there's two things that I think about when I hear you here. You, you seem to have such a great sense of grace um, in the face of urgency. Um, I think that's wonderful. It's, it's very in, inspiring to me. Um, and I think that it's so, it's so great to hear you even say that, like, I'm a person. You know, everyone, please, let's notice that I'm still a person and uh, that you have that root. So... Where where do you find your center? How do you find your center when you are at peace? Because uh, it sounds like that you had to build that. You had to carve that out of of your own life. Um, where do you find that sense of center and that sense of peace? My husband. He's my husband is so grounded. We're we're so we're such opposites. He's such an introvert, and I'm such an extrovert. And he's really brought a balance and a, a calmness and a stillness um, to my life. Through my 20s, I was in the bars. I was performing. I was around loud music every weekend. And I, I decided I didn't want to be in, in that mindset because everything was so loud. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I couldn't hear because I was constantly going, going, going. And the music was so loud that metaphor of the music being loud and not being able to hear. And once I was really able to slow down, you know, once I left, 
and people find and people find balance in very different things and in very different ways. But for me, I I, I couldn't I couldn't work in clubs mm. anymore. And once I left club life, I found myself finding stillness and creating my space mm-hmm. in the curation of my home, of checking out, of finding humor in watching TV, you know, and just unplugging, um, self-care. I really learned to take care of myself. I worked at Chicago's largest LGBT center, Center Hall Halsted, for three years. I worked with LGBT youth. I curated programming. I did HIV prevention. And at the end of that, I found myself a walking corpse because I had gave so much to those young people. I was dealing with institutional oppression, a lack of resources for the population that I was serving, and also the complexities of working with such a vulnerable population, you know, who were dealing with street violence, you know, were dealing with, you know, HIV, you know, and trying to just survive. Um, and, and after I, I left that work, I, I said, I will never again lose myself to the work. Because if I am not present, I have nothing else that I can give, you know, and I... I want to be able to give for a lifetime, but I feel that if I don't take care of myself, there will be nothing to to give. I think that self-care is community care, and that I think that is an act of resilience in it in itself of tending to me so that I can give to others. And that's I'm really grateful that you've picked up on that because mm-hmm. that's in this present moment, like that is what I feel I'm supposed to be doing because I don't know what's on the other side of this, but I feel like I am preparing for the next moment of Precious Davis. And in this moment, like I feel like I am to rest and to just absorb and to find healing um, in this place. So that's... um... I'm going to save that question for a bit later because I, I think people do want to know what you're doing next. But something that you said is something that um, having talked to lots of different educators around the country, um, is something I'm always curious of because you've you've made uh, your appearances in pop culture, right? And you're also uh, you said that you're a, a consumer of pop culture. You like that. Um, how do we as people who are living this social justice uh of being woke, how do we deal with problematic media? Because I was having this conversation in one of my classes uh, the other day, and um, we were talking about, okay, well, if you're going to buy media, uh, do it do it responsibly. And we had that conversation, and people were saying, how is this possible? And I said, if you find a great answer, you let me know, right? Like, if you can find... Uh, uh, studios or um, places that aren't completely owned by white people and that aren't like their staff isn't mostly white people the higher you get you tell me so um i think your presence even being inside of this is is refreshing for some people but when you consume media 
Um, what are your thoughts on that? And is all media problematic? And are there or are these these little gems that exist inside of there that you found uh, some solace in? Because I'm sure if you're like me, you could be saying, like, okay, I'm glad to watch this movie. And then something happens, you go, dang it, like I was supposed to be relaxing today. Yeah. So first of all, in media, we have to realize that it's all being curated. That it is all curated by someone. There is messaging. There is promotion. There is publicity. And this is someone's job. And Mm -hmm. I don't think people realize that. That someone's job is to generate a story. And in that, they know that they are going to offend people. And by people liking and sharing all of it of saying, look how problematic this is that piece is still getting attention. So mm-hmm. not all problematic pieces will I repost, you know, because that's clickbait, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so I try to narrow in on stories that inspire me, people that inspire me. You know, that's I, it's why I have such respect for Lady Gaga's work. I think that as a performance artist, I think that she is always pushing herself. I think she's pushing the boundaries of her art form. It's why I have respect for Miley Cyrus, using her platform to advocate for the the rights of LGBT youth um, and to eradicate uh, LGBTQ youth homelessness. It's why I have the utmost respect for the Obamas, who in modern history, you know, as a president, has never been so involved in, in media and in, in pop culture and the way that they have really opened up the White House um, to the American people and young people specifically um, is beautiful. I think that my consumerism that I think it's, it's, it's very particular, you know, in terms of media that I partake in, you know, like I, I, Miles and I just went to go see Southside with you. Um, but before that, I went to go see Bad Moms. It was a movie with all women. It was mm. h- hysterical. You know, before that, I, I uh, watched Confirmation um, with, with Kerry Washington, you know, like, which is a story about Anita Hill, you know. And so there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's mm-hmm. a social justice component to that. I love Vice programming. I love everything that comes on, on Vice. But I often say to myself, oh, but yet this is a young white woman going into a person of color's culture, you know, and asking all of these questions, you know, but there are some people of color, you know, in some of um, their shows, but that does not get to stand as the representation for an entire population. So I think it's the gaze to which I take pop culture. You know, I love people like Solange, you know, who Mm. she has this famous sister but she stands alone as uh, her uh, a positive thinker um, and as a, a curator of culture, of fashion, as a woman of color, uh, someone like Erica Badu, you know, who is always curating essays on uh, self love and independence. Miles and I attend Essence Fest every year, which is uh, the largest African American festival in the country, Fourth of July weekend. Mm-hmm. So really being a part of that and celebrating. Uh, black culture. So I, I, I tend to celebrate media that celebrates diverse identities. I love RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Um, I think RuPaul is such 
an inspiration, you know, who comes up from being this young drag queen. You know, you see videos of her on YouTube running around New York City, you know, and to now being this giant superstar, you know, and has really built this platform. So people who build platforms and use their platforms to edify and empower others, those are the most pieces of media that inspire me. So uh, maybe this will lead into that. Um, my final question for you as we're wrapping this up is, what if you dare to dream, uh, dare to dream, what do you hope is over this next hill? So you're resting now, um, kind of getting getting this all together, which is I'm so glad you're doing that because I think it's a thing that all of us can do better is in the moments of peace, rest for a second, and then get up. Because um, I'm sure after this next election, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get... Um, uh, wild for a while, but let's say when you do get up and go, what do you hope is over this next hill? What's next for Precious? I think that there are many things um, for Precious. Something with my husband. Um, I know that Miles and I. Uh, one of the themes of our wedding, we had everything on the south side of Chicago, mm-hmm. um, and that was purposely. That was on purpose. Um, when people talk about Chicago, often. You know, they talk about Chirac, um, Mm -hmm. but they don't talk about the potential, the opportunity, uh, the history, you know, of our beautiful city. I mean, President Obama, you know, taught Mm -hmm. at the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. We live a couple miles from their house. On the other side of this lies something where Miles and I will give back to the south side of Chicago and serve as an inspiration to young people, to old people, to many kinds of populations, um, people of different kinds of abilities, of different faiths, of different races, of different ethnicities, something that brings people together um, and a place where people see that they are more alike than they are different. Um, Something uh, where people feel safe um, in coming and celebrating each other and weekly where they can come and be edified and uplifted um, and find purpose and solace and meaning in their lives. There will be there will be something that orates the curation of that in the next chapter for Precious. That's wonderful. I I I hope to to watch this and help as much as I can. So if people want to find you, they think you're awesome. They want to follow you. Um, how can they do that? Yeah, um, I have a website. PreciousDavis.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, Precious Brady Davis. I also am on Twitter, Miss Precious Davis. I'm on Facebook as well, Precious Davis. Great. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me, Emilio. All right. We did it. Yay. Thank you so much.